welcome to Butler's Podcast. Hello, welcome, welcome to, to Butler's, Butler's Podcast. Podcast. Hello, Cassie Gould. What are we going to do this week? Well, today we are going to be discussing, sort of briefly, hopefully, um, the meaning behind some of the more commonly used wine terms or words that keep popping up in conversation or people are asking us for or possibly are on people's radars a lot more now. Okay, so um, yes, it's some of the things that people might mention in the shop but don't always understand the full meaning behind it. Why would they if they haven't studied the Yeah, and I think matter? some people feel a bit awkward sometimes because there's lots of chat about vegan and organic and biodynamic and they don't really know what they are. Yes, I find it's better to ask a question about these things rather than to go come straight in and dictate what you think it is. I think if you don't know, don't be shy and go ask on the back us. foot. Ask the question. Um, also, we must warn that there's a, a garden tiger has walked into the house, which isn't ours. So if you hear something <laughs> clumping around in Dr. Martin boots um, with no grace, then that's that hairy little thing. <laughs> so which is the first term that you want to start with? Well, I thought, I guess because it's very on trend, would be vegan wines. Okay, so and must point out that this is our opinions and a bit of fact, but it's not, uh, if you want to really study these things, then go on a Google wine it. course, do a WSET <laughs> course or go to Plumpton College. Or come and ask us. Um, but I think also to point out that there's a bigger picture and I think we shouldn't sort of No, there's a lot of chat that could, we could have rules. under these um, headings. Yeah, so that's, and this is just a, a little basic. A guide. Okay. Okay, so Henry, what's a vegan wine or what makes a wine vegan or not vegan? That is a wine that hasn't had any animal products added to it, which is generally in the form of filtering a wine, which would be milk-based products historically or fish protein or in the past bull's blood. So um, this is once you've made a wine and you filter it to make it clear. Yes, so the, you've everyone's seen a, a, a picture of a, a stainless steel big massive wine tank in a, in a winery. It ha, when the wine sits in there, it has fine particles that gives it a slight haze. Most bottles of wine, when you pull the cork, they look crystal clear. So to get rid of that haze, you need to filter it. And typically you might use an egg white, which you stir into the top of the um, wine tank and it, and it goes to the bottom and it takes all of the fine particles out. The alternative would be to use um, more vegetable type products, I believe, are coming through. But the more common used one is, is clay, bentonite clay. You so you put it through a really fine clay press. Yeah, through a filter. So if you are vegan, vegan wines do exist, lots of them. Most of our wines actually are vegan. Um, if they're not, they're, they're certainly not they haven't been filtered with fish guts anymore, that's for sure. Um, they use a tiny bit of egg white normally, or sometimes um, casein, which is the milk protein. Also important to point out, point out that some will be registered vegan on the back labels, which they probably have to pay to get that marketing opportunity, and there's probably some admin issues. And equally, um, if we don't know that a wine is, is not vegan or or is vegan, we would sort of obviously say it's, it's not, and, or it is, um, but we can't find the information. Some producers, when they're small and uh, this isn't their main focus, it's really difficult to find that information from um, producers. So we're not being awkward, um, but sometimes we just don't know. Also important to point out that some cheap corks might use animal product in the glue, 
um, and in the packaging as well. So again, bigger picture. Yeah. <laughs> bigger picture. Okay, moving on to organic wine. Yes. So we've, we get lots of people asking for organic wines now because they think it means they're not going to get a headache. Mm-hmm. Um, I might argue that alcohol might give them the headache, which Good is argument. a poison. So if you're drinking lots of it, you're going to get a headache regardless of whether it's organic or not. That's what paracetamol are there for. Exactly, and water. Mm-hmm. Um, so what would make a wine organic compared to a non-organic wine? So you're not using um, additional chemicals in the uh, farming process or in the production. So you... Some producers might use herbicides, fungicides, pesticides. Lots of these will have some chemicals in in them. Um, uh, But there are organic alternatives, so you mustn't have any of these chemicals uh, in your farm. uh, And is it a minimum of three years? Three years, Before they can certify as organic? Yeah. Some Yes, so there's a process um, that you would have to go through, lots of admin, and then you're allowed to put, uh, if you pass, you're allowed to put um, certified organic there are different bodies that, that um, do and this. And again, that would have an additional cost to it. So a yes. lot of our wines are organic, but they're not certified. So we know that from the practices that the farmers and the winemakers are taking, but they don't state it on the bottle because that's going to mean that the wine will have to cost more for the consumer. So a lot of them are put off by that. And also the fact that it's lots of years of paperwork. Yeah, life is admin heavy anyway, isn't it? So why would you want to do any more? And some people, if they sell all their wine anyway, why would they make them, their lives a bit more difficult? Um, it also, you must stress that there are good organic wines and there are bad organic wines, just as there are with other wines. It doesn't mean that your wine is going to be better. No, and better. the wine and the organic process sort of took place more in the vineyard initially with the non-spraying of chemical fertilisers. Um, it does mean there are alternatives you can use which aren't chemical-based, but, for example, one of them is copper. Yeah, copper so and sulphur. Copper and sulphur is still going into the production then and into the ground. So yes, so you, you typically <laughs> vineyards would spray the vineyards to, to minimise the risk of mould. Um, but we've got a producer who, who thinks copper is really bad and uh, doesn't want copper in the soil, so he doesn't use copper, but he's in a part of France where suddenly they've had a run of really bad weather conditions where he's had low fruit at best, but some some vintages no fruit because he's chosen not to spray. So that's his income gone for that year. And how long can he wear that and tell his family mm. that they can't have any shoes? It's tricky as well because you've got vineyards really close to each other so one of them might be certified organic and next door they're not organic and they're spraying whatever the hell they like which very possibly is traveling in the air next door good point i I, I visited a a bouvray producer in uh loire obviously or maybe not so obviously and they had a walled in vineyard biodynamic organic um so no chemicals but they pointed out that their neighbors would spray with um aircraft or helicopters lovely so that was nice cool. little hint of petrol yeah. we like some of that yeah okay um uh, moving on how about sustainable wines because we have a lot of sustainable things Yes, so again, there's a bigger picture, so you're probably um the the taking additional steps. Beyond organic? Yes, and some countries or regions have a framework, an illegal framework, or a sort of a manifesto that people would sign up for, like in California. I've seen that, massive, big, hefty tome. They love it there. Yeah, um, which people don't often pick up on, I suppose, um, because California looks like this sort of bright lights and lots of consumption and 
uh, maybe not so much focus is uh, sort of uh, in this sustainable approach, but it, it's really strict and it, and it defines how you should farm, how you should make wine, and it might bring in um, energy use in the wineries. Wineries are, use a lot of power, um, water use, for Bio, example. Biodiesel instead of big um, diesel yeah. tractors, or some of them you plough with horses. Maybe a different approach to packaging. Um, um, lots of them are using insects and different plant life, which they're planting in between the vines, to encourage certain insects and wildlife into the vineyards to promote pollination. And it encourages um, certain animals to go to different areas of the vineyard so they're not eating all the grapes, basically. So it allows certain weeds and wildflowers to distract the wildlife to eat from one area um, rather than nicking all the fruit. So it's sort of sensible ways of using wildlife and nature um, yeah, finding to, protect a balance, your, to protect the vines and also um, encourage life into them. I, li- I like this approach because um, we can just dismiss all of our wines as being sustainable and not really they are. explain it. <laughs> they kind of are. Or, um, <laughs> but, it, but I think it has a nice um, sort of scientific, it combines scientific it sense, approach it? with a holistical approach and looking for balance. I think you may be looking for balance in your wine, but also how your vineyard fits into the rest of the world and the, and, the, and the nature the world and wildlife in. and how you're not damaging yeah. things you want to be encouraging it to yeah, um, to grow and develop sounds like a nice relaxed approach to and then a sort of more honest open approach i like and it. sensible it's good gardening i think it's good gardening. Yes. Uh, okay moving on to biodynamic okay a little bit more focus it's sort of like the the wines that we've just been talking about the, the organic um and sustainable, but more of a, a, a grounding in the farming methods of Rudolf Steiner. We've got a Steiner school in Whitehawk. We have, we? it's just down the road. Who'd have thought? Yeah. Who'd have thought in this little postcode? <laughs> um, so he, he would have, he, he, um, it's, it's about life. When you speak to biodynamic producers, it's about getting life into the soil. So there's a, a period of time where if there have been chemicals, if you bought a vineyard and the previous person farmed in a different way, there's a period of time when you're not doing anything with that vineyard uh, uh, in, in terms of growing grapes to make wine. You're letting it sort itself out and helping it sort itself out and getting life back into the soil because that will then go into making better fruit. And they also follow a, a strict planting calendar according to the astrological configurations. Yes. Which is kind of crucial, isn't it, to the biodynamic Yes, Farming. so there are days where you might water, there are days where um, it's focused on root growth, there's days which are... Um, like a leaf day, a plant fruit. day, a root day. So, and if you transpose that onto wine tasting days, um, people will argue there's a, there's a calendar and people book their tastings on <laughs> fruit days. Maybe that's what we need to do. Of root days or leaf days. Maybe we should start looking at the that. the same wines t- taste better on some days. Um, than they do on other days and you know that as a consumer you probably if you buy the same wine 10 different times some of those times you think the wine is is amazing partly because you might be in a good mood you maybe might be on relaxed. your third bottle maybe um or it might be a fruit day so again you, you, you buy into it you don't buy into it I, i'll take anything i think I'm, I'm a positive my glass runneth over unlike yours which is Dry Boy. and empty. Really? Um, so I'll take the positive in any situation. I've got cold at the moment. But they basically, they don't use fertilisers, pesticides. They plant according to the ast- astrological calendar. 
It's yeah. all quite cool and holistic. I like it. I think I kind of buy into this. It's a bit like witchcraft. Well, I sp- and I spoke to her um, uh, because they also put cow-, cow horns in the soil with little potions in it. Um, maybe some hallucinogenics. But the, uh, <laughs> in California, definitely. <laughs> I spoke to an Alsatian producer and he, he knew bits of biodynamics which seemed to work for him, but he also admitted he doesn't know how it's working, but he, he, it is working, so he's going to carry on with it. And he said it's like good gardeners in this country say that they've got green fingers. Like, like mom. your mum. Yeah, no, no one really knows what mum does in the garden, but it seems to work and everything grows really well. And, and you know... It's nature thing. doing its natural thing. Not dicking around with it. Yeah. Although there are some people that play uh, music to the vines as well. Yeah. That's kind of one extreme level. They play level. music in the wineries as well to the vines. Yeah, I like that. Wine. Relaxes them. Okay. I like the idea of that. Okay, then, okay, the, the next extreme is natural wine. Yeah, this isn't my strong point. Obviously, <laughs> obviously, everyone wants it, but the, uh, but the it's the... it's no, it's sort of nothing added, nothing taken away. So it's natural yeast um, in the vineyards will be used to to ferment the wine. So when it ferments and you let it do its own thing, don't add anything in the winery. Um, Minimal or no sulphur usually. Yeah, um, as, as far as I can tell, there aren't any legal requirements on any of this and legal definitions I should say for but natural there, there are different bodies who have different views on what constitutes a natural wine yeah um, it's tricky for us because we do get asked for them again I'm not sure people really understand what they are asking for and there are some extremes where because of the minimal use or no use of sulfur they're generally unfined and unfiltered um, and they're just using uh, natural yeasts in the fermentation process. Um, some of the wines can be really volatile and unstable. So, so we should explain that sulfur is used as um, a preservative in small, in small parts to to help keep the wine stable. And it's also used in the vineyards often, but in tiny, tiny quantities. Nothing compared to a carton of orange juice or a packet of processed ham or some dried apricots. Anything like that will have huge amounts of sulphur in comparison to wine. Um, and we're talking about, I mean, the sort of wines we sell, no one's adding chunks of sulphur to any of it because they are generally from smaller producers who don't need to add anything. Um, the tricky issue is with natural wine that some of them aren't great examples um, and they tend to be quite expensive because they're made in small quantities um, and without any kind of protection um, to preserve it you're not guaranteed any consistency either yeah right. um, Come on. well we have we've got we've had really poor examples and really good examples and yeah. we do have some natural wines in stock ultimately we've bought them because they've tasted nice not because they're natural um, and yep. maybe that's our stance on it. Our rule is, is, does it taste nice? Are we interested in it? Does it justify the price? That's the starting point. It doesn't matter what it is, where, whether it's natural or not. Um, my, my beef sometimes is when uh, some of the, the natural and some of the orange wines as well that I've tasted, you don't get a sense of what grape variety mm. it is or what, where the place that it comes from. Um, but maybe I've just had the wrong ones. Lots of people in Brighton are obsessed by them, aren't they? So that's another reason why I'm not going to like them. (laughs) We have got some nice ones, but yeah, that's a tricky, tricky subject. Hopefully there'll be a bit more um, legality brought into the production of them because I think that would help. 
help the consumer. Yeah, and us as a retailer for sure. Mm-hmm. Okay, next one is a Quivevery. <laughs> Say that after a, a bottle. Quivevery. What's a Quivevery? It's a clay pot in varying different sizes, which um, traditionally... What, like a vase use... size? But you could have a vase size <laughs> they one. They don't you could have, have a vase size. Barrel size one, depending on how many grapes you've got, I suppose. Put your wine in it, as they did in olden days in Georgia, not in America, in Eastern, European, in Eastern Europe, and that's how they made their wine. You'd either store it on the land, on, in, on the ground, or bury it, and then uh, obviously seal up the top, and then after a while, go and dig it out and see what's happening. So it's there. a massive clay pot that you can use for storage, ageing and fermenting of wine. It is, yes, good definition. Yes. And uh, quite exciting, there's a project going on with um, Plumpton Wine College. Yep. They've got their Cavevery little area on the, next to their Yeah, winery. we need to try those, actually. To, I think they've make, got some um, Merlot in there. Yeah, linking up with uh, some other wine producers, not just Okay, Clinton. next. Old and new world wines. What's the basic definition? Old world wines are European countries. New world wines are not European countries. Boom. No more mention of Europe this week. Yeah, get them while you can, because mm-hmm. the prices might double shortly. Okay, and finally, because we'll stop it soon, is corked wine. This yeah. is this is where I have beef. You have beef. <laughs> Many things you have beef with. This it does not one. mean. I'll tell you what it doesn't okay, mean. You, you can get say what it does mean. Chest. It does go on. not mean go on, go on. a wine with bits of cork floating in it because you haven't opened it properly. It does not mean a wine that you don't like the taste of. Yeah, that's the main one, isn't it? It does mean, Henry. And it also doesn't mean <laughs> if you charge into the shop and you've practically drunk the whole bottle... Oh, don't. ...this wine is definitely corked. I know it is. Oh, I've Can worked I in the industry. I need... Yeah, I know everything. Yeah, that goes down really well. Nice people get dealt with in a nice way. Polite people get dealt with politely. But if you're rude... We are always polite. Always then, do the uh, right thing. We always go, give people the benefit quaff. of the doubt. But I like to um, educate at the same time. Quartz bottles, we try to have one in the shop at any one time because it seems to be more interesting for people than normal wine, non-corked wines. But when you get a good example of one that is corked, you, you only have to smell it. You don't need to taste it. If you smell the wine, there's one in our hallway at the moment. Mm, I'll take it into the shop. Uh, then you can get your head around it. The tricky thing is that some wines are really super corked and you... you, you, you Everyone would notice it if you smelt it, but some are very, very slightly cooked, even to the point where they're just not as fruity as the previous bottle that you had. So it's very subtle, and that's when you're sort of thinking, well... Is, is this it's, natural? It's, 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 <laughs> but boom. Um, and do I bother taking it back tonight, or shall I just drink it anyway? It's that sort of thing. Um, so what actually is it? It's a chemical compound called TCA, which I can never pronounce. Trichloroanisole, um, something like that. Anisole, <laughs> which is not what you find in the. It's in not the, the cream that you. No, it's not that cream. Which apparently gets rid of the bags under your eyes. Yeah, it does. Does it? Don't need Botox. Right, I'm not. Okay. I'm not going to try that. <laughs> I can't. Okay, say I've it's got a. It's in my eyes. A chemical compound that, when it comes into contact with a chlorine-based cleaning product, creates a weird chemical reaction, which is called TCA. Is that right? Yeah. And, 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 it, and, it, and it attaches itself to corks. 
Yeah, so it's, and then once it's there, it, it doesn't get any better. So no, leaving the it's cork tainted. out, it's it's you, if you you know if you don't finish some wines and you put your cork back into a bottle, don't put the TCA cork in there because it, it only causes more and more damage. It's only going to get the smell is going to get worse and worse. And the smell to me is like a wet dog eating a green unripe apple. Really? Yeah, that's very specific. I think it smells details. like a it's damp like cellar. When you go downstairs into a damp underground cellar or you're doing a tour of the sewers or something in Brighton, <laughs> like wet, damp cellar. I went into a tasting once and part of the carpet was caught. <laughs> that was a, a sod. That I think tab- that's that half of our stunk. shop. <laughs> um, but it, it, yeah, but as Cassie said, you, it, there are other faults, other wine faults. And again, you could go to Plumpton College and go on a wine fault um, course. So you might have a wine that's oxidised that's uh, just been left in the air or said the cork or the, the stopper has been faulty and it just goes a bit sort of sherryish. Madderized if it's got too hot in the window. Okay, we're All doing cork, we're doing cork. Okay. So it's a fungus that's in the cork that gets attached, or it attaches itself to corks. It goes crazy when it comes into contact with cleaning products. So basically it's a nightmare. So once you've got cork taint, it can affect your bottle, it can affect your whole production and it can affect your entire winery. Um, yes. We know we had one California producer who absolutely Don't loved. Them, I'm not naming them, um, who unfortunately did have to clear out their entire wine production and winery and everything um, to clear it of TCA because everything yeah. was damaged, uh, which they did, and that would have cost a fortune. Um, the the way they've got rid of it now is that most people have eliminated the use of chlorine based cleaning products because it seems to only react with chlorine as far as I know but I'm not a scientist and there's obviously a lot more screw caps yeah that's a way to avoid it I think people kind of like the theatre of opening a cork and also want to keep Portugal um, in business yes and and (laughs) again on the cork that that is used you can pay to have a really top class um, relatively problem-free cork, which would be quite expensive. As and glass stoppers. Cork. We have a lot of glass stoppers now. Yeah, you talk over me while I'm explaining the cost of corks. I normally do. Or you could have you could sort of cut costs and buy a really low-grade cheap cork, and then you're going to get more problems. So, um, yeah, you pay your money. But it's very rare. Probably. We, we well, don't see... We don't no, but we have low, We have hundreds and hundreds of producers and we, we never get a batch. Or maybe we've had one batch one. Yeah, but, but it is a problem and, and then we deal with, deal with it, don't we? Anyway, I think that kind of, hopefully, that gives you a little bit of education on some of the commonly used terms that are coming into wine lingo at the moment. Yes, it's not a... a, a it's our opinion, again, and it's a <laughs> yeah. discussion point. Please we'll don't write in saying that we're it. wrong on everything. I'm still talking, different standpoint <laughs> on it next week. But um, hopefully we'll find some more that, um, wine terms. If you want to send in... Uh, some suggestions of what you'd like explained yeah. then you could probably Instagram or tweet or yeah, email when you when you listen to this and uh, get in touch and we'll try and cover them on another episode you Maybe see what I do we should do a phone in really? let's do a phone in yay on the podcast okay bye bye cheerio people <laughs>